I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? I like football. I like football season all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson, also joined by our friend Bob Stern. But as I do here, I'm going to rudely just forget Bob for one minute. We'll get back to him. But first, as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies, plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with, you know, a million dollars a day. A million dollars of coverage in less for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to cover in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect your family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Now, Bob, welcome in. Bob Sturm of the Sturm Stack, Cowboys analyst. How's it going, man? I'm great. First time, long time, guys. I see my head is substantially bigger than either of yours, which is, I assure everybody, it's just a camera trick. We'll lean closer to the camera to, uh, <laughs> to offset that. Um, are, you a, are you a listener of the podcast? You were hinting that you were a listener of the podcast as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, Probably more uh, Mondays all the time, Thursdays most of the time, and then Wednesdays uh, uh, is is if I can fit it in my uh, schedule. But I yeah, I love you guys, uh, big big fan, and of course you've been on uh, my radio show several Super Bowls in a row. That's uh, delightful. So uh, uh, this is a thrill. Well, we appreciate it, and um, I know that it's difficult to keep up with, say, eight hours of content of uh, Sam and Steve here, but we appreciate you trying. That's just the two big shows. Uh, <laughs> tell everybody what you're, like, what's your role, what do you do, where can people find your work before we get into everything here, because we definitely want to talk Cowboys Niners. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been on uh, Sports Radio 1310 The Ticket since 1998, when uh, I had a little more hair and a little less gray in the beard, but... Uh, uh, luckily to uh, lucky to have a job where uh, it's you know we've we've been doing it a long long time on the hard line so I'm on three to seven central time in the afternoon so you can check out that show at theticket.com and uh, then on the writing side I uh, was at the athletic for a long time and then they uh, they I believe I was in the final cuts uh, they tried to move me to the practice squad but uh, I did not make the roster this year and uh, so went off on my own with a brave new venture uh, at Substack uh, which is uh, uh, incredibly creatively called 
Sturmstack. Uh, and uh, we write primarily about the Cowboys, but a lot of other DFW and college football stuff that are relevant to the area. Uh, but if you're a Cowboys fan, it's essentially what I was writing at The Athletic and at the Dallas Morning News for years and years and years. And I'm keeping it going uh, in my own office where you can now see plenty of Giannis Atenacumpo pictures and even Brett Hall winning a Stanley Cup. So that's kind of what I do. I also uh, have been lucky enough to work uh, with Monday Night Football and uh, Troy Aikman uh, for several years and uh, consider him uh, a very fine, well-prepared broadcaster and that's, a good quarterback. That's So are you, uh, when he references the, references the analytics, is that you? Are you the analytics? <laughs> well, at Fox, I definitely was. Uh, at ESPN, they have literally an army of, uh, of people uh, that, that are feeding him information. So it's possible I've become a little bit redundant over the years. But, uh, but yeah, we dig into the numbers. Uh, we, we prepare for games. He does, I want to be clear, though. He does a ton of work on his own. And so when he hired me in 2016, it was only to uh, enhance the amount of stuff he had uh, at the ready and uh and and you know not not in place of he is not a guy who is uh who is out playing golf all week and just shows up uh you know at, at game time not not saying anyone else does but he's not that guy <laughs> he is a he is grinding his tail off and I'm, I'm happy to be on his team 98 is some rough timing that's almost the entirety of this like stretch of the Dallas Cowboys being a meme for not being able to win in the playoffs like Bob yeah. arrives just after the run like the dynasty yes. and then from that point on it's been you know constant almost in misery he did catch you know, my Sam, favorite baseball i would appreciate team, it if you don't point out my uh my relevance to that date i was uh, been... i was merely highlighting it as a coincidental <laughs> timeline I, if you want I, to ascribe well, actual you know agency in this that's that's on you you don't understand that, sports radio sam you don't understand there's no way yes. sports radio does well in the early 90s when the cowboys you need people complaining we need sad cowboys fans that's how bob makes his money off sad <laughs> cowboys fans <laughs> I, I, I like to pedal and hope and sports therapy uh, as uh, trying to talk people through, uh, you know, another uh, disappointing end to a season. But uh, yes, guys, in June, we passed 10,000 days since their last Super Bowl victory. And so, uh, you know, it's uh, it would be t it would. I think this city would really be into a meaningful playoff run if uh, they can if they can cook one up is there, uh, over there at Frisco at the Star. Is there a big tracker somewhere that you know the like the you see in prison you know with the five and X five five <laughs> like somebody got that on a wall somewhere like all the days since the last Cowboys victory. I know I keep it. I, I don't know if I'm that guy <laughs> on the wall, but uh, it, 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 it's, it's been a long run. I saw Dave Campbell's entire era. I saw Chan Gailey's era. And so uh, uh, the amount of time since the Cowboys have, uh, have won meaningful January games, uh, it's, you know, again, it's my entire adult life pretty much now. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun to have a, a competitive team, but, uh, but, but as you guys know, uh, close doesn't quite cut it for a lot of these franchises, and that's where the Cowboys have uh, kind of been in purgatory here for a couple of years. Well, let's let's get into a little bit of the Cowboys 49ers matchup. I think you know it's certainly the game of the week. It's Sunday night football. Sam and I broke it down in our own way yesterday. I want to get your thoughts on it, but how are you feeling about the Cowboys going in? We're four weeks in. They've had three dominant games and then one dud against the Arizona Cardinals. Seems like that 
has been a little bit of the vibe the last couple of years in Dallas. How do you handle some of – how do you assess some of their inconsistency over these last couple of years? Well, yeah, I, I think what we are seeing with Mike McCarthy, uh, and that's really what frustrates people, is uh, I am at times accused of being a apologist for uh, Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy. I like to say realist. Uh, every time they lose, I don't think they need to fire uh, both quarterback and coach into the sun. I think we need to take a, a reasonable responses and uh, maybe use logic at times to apply things and not just say, oh, they're cursed and uh, uh, we need to, we need to tank for Caleb or whatever uh, the, the, the new idea out there is on the streets. I just think since McCarthy's been here, they've, they've turned the corner on a couple things. Now these may be really basic, but I think they're worth at least telling a, a, a larger audience. One, they made consecutive playoffs which, again, very low-hanging fruit, but <laughs> the idea that Jason Garrett was the coach here for 10 years and never made consecutive playoffs, the idea that Wade Phillips was here for several years before him and never made consecutive playoffs is pretty hard to believe. 06-07, the first two years of Tony Romo playing were the last time they made consecutive playoffs until 21-22. So, again, low hurdle, but they jumped it. The next one, they took care of home field advantage. In AT&T Stadium that opened in 2009 until 2019 when they fired Jason Garrett or let his contract expire, they were roughly 54% at home. 54%, which is incredibly average at best. Yep. Well, since uh, Mike McCarthy has taken over, they've, they're over 70%. So they're where a playoff contender, a championship contender should be taking care of home field. And then the third one is their 9-1 and one, uh, coming off losses over the last three years. So every time they lose, they're, they have a 900% winning percentage the next week. And I realize, again, not the highest hurdles in the world. We're certainly not calling them a dynasty. But these are big progress points where you're not losing streak there's no losing streaks there's no month without you know without any sort of decent football when they lose they dust off they get back on the horse and they win the next week like they did against new england quite comfortably so so these are all progress points but obviously they're chasing the eagles and the 49ers we don't know where the lions are fully in that nfc race but but that's been the new issue is as good as Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott have been, how did the Eagles go to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, tear down their entire team, and then darn near win another Super Bowl within five years, and the Cowboys appear to spin their wheels every January? So you, hopefully hopefully, in some way that sort of sets the mood for where Cowboy football is is presently. No, that's well done. We were um, speculating about this yesterday, but... How much are the San Francisco 49ers like in Dallas's head at this point, given the way those playoff games have ended in the last couple of years and the fact that they haven't been able to beat this team? And, you know, you're, you're setting out this, I think, very well articulated uh, kind of change in mindset that needs to take place, right? We've been emotionally damaged by 20-plus years of failure, and now right. we need to rebuild this, and maybe it needs to take a longer time than it does for a team that's – that's sort of used to that and has to and can reset quickly. And these are all important mind, milestones in rebuilding that confidence. But one of the others is probably, okay, this team keeps beating us. How do we yes. how do we get over that hurdle? Yeah, and, and there honestly the 49ers are kind of the new Packers, uh, because the Packers uh routinely beat the Tony Romo 
uh, Des Bryant, Jason Witten Cowboys, uh, ironically, with Mike McCarthy. And so, uh, you know, when you beat them in 2014 and 2016 in the playoffs and in the regular season several more times, including even you guys remember 2013, Matt Flynn goes into AT&T Stadium and is down 26 to 3 at the half and he beats them. So the Packers were the boogeyman and then they all aged out, of course. And uh, now it's been swapped with the 49ers. Uh, Mike McCarthy is central to this story, of course. And I really think his objective over these last couple of years has been to find a team that could fight the 49ers in the trenches and live to tell about it. Like, fight them straight up have the offensive line that can deal with that 49ers front, have the defensive line that can deal with that 49ers run game. And I'll be honest, in looking back at that January matchup, it was a real titanic struggle for both teams. I thought it was a historic-type NFC playoff game with uh, those beautiful colors and and a hopping stadium and the rivalry. I look back at that game yesterday, and I just saw what I thought was darn near a draw in the trenches on both sides of the ball. So for me, and and again, I'm not saying these are the highest hurdles to, to cross, but I do feel like the Cowboys have gone from a finesse team in some level to a very physical, almost 49ers clone in the trenches. And I don't think that should be lost in the conversation. Like they're not terrified on either side of the ball of, of, be, of being bullied by the 49ers. So then it comes down to, okay, so what's been the problem? Well, the problem is the Cowboys in those two playoff games just simply have not generated enough offense. And Kellen Moore paid for it, I'm sure. Uh, a lot of moves were made. Uh, it's it's Tony Pollard. It's not Zeke anymore. It's Brandon Cooks. Uh, you know, the, the idea, uh, even though he's had an, an incredibly slow start, uh, was that he can get open and it won't just be CeeDee Lamb against the world when they go in against that 49ers defense. So that's kind of the overview of the matchup. Uh, the Cowboys, assignment-wise, defensively, were so good in the 49ers playoff game and so much better than they were in Arizona two weeks ago where it looked like they hadn't been really coached very well. So defensively, their objective, of course, is they got to get takeaways. This is a takeaway machine Dan Quinn has built. It's kind of the best of both worlds because they are a sound defense that doesn't give up points, doesn't give up yards, but they also get takeaways. So it's kind of like they're... They have a chance to be a really historically great defense, I think. Uh, Trayvon Diggs obviously hurts, but but if you can if you can stop teams from getting even 300 yards of offense and lead the league in takeaways, you can win a title with that defense. And I think that's kind of what they have right now, as long as Micah Parsons stays healthy. I want to go back to the offense really quick for a minute because you mentioned Kellen Moore, and of course Mike McCarthy takes over the play calling this year. Brian Schottenheimer comes in with the offensive coordinator title. Uh, my initial take is we don't really know what the Mike McCarthy offense looks like because the game flows have just been so lopsided through four weeks. <coughs> have right. you gleaned anything? Do you have any takeaways, the difference between Mike McCarthy, Kellen Moore? What are your thoughts on McCarthy's offense this year compared to what it's been? Well, the, I think the two biggest objectives, uh, and, the, and these aren't going to wow fans because fans want shock shock and awe and trick plays and 50-yard touchdowns routinely and a broken scoreboard, and, and that's not Mike McCarthy. He's not chasing that. He's chasing two things. He wants to run the ball when he wants to run the ball. That doesn't mean he's uh, running 60 times a game. It means on first and 10, 
when I want to get five yards, I can get five yards because I've, I'm paying this offensive line all the money and, and all the first round picks, and and uh, that's what we that's what our identity has to be is in a weird way. We want to be like Kyle Shanahan and be able to run the ball and not have to pass it until we want to, and and so that's objective one is fix the early down run game that has uh, abandoned them around December first in 2021 and 2022. By the playoffs, they they just can't run the ball at all. Uh, Zeke would run into the back of uh, the center, and it's second and twelve, and you know now they're chasing the sticks. The other thing that they want to be able to do is get the ball out, play on time. Again, this sounds really basic, but I will direct you to one of the preseason stories around here where uh, where, where the conversation was actually uh, a, a story in USA Today about um, how the Cowboys are pairing footwork of their quarterback with the route stems and the route uh, concepts of the wide receivers, which you guys will say, that sounds like ninth grade football. And it is. But explain to me how Michael Gallup said in that story that this is the first time with the Cowboys that they've ever tried to pair up the footwork of the quarterback with the wide receivers. I, uh, I about lost my mind. I honestly think the entire story is either the most under underrated story of the summer or uh, complete fiction. And I don't believe uh, uh, Jory would uh, write fiction. So I, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt. There's tons of Brian Schottenheimer in there. There's tons of Michael Gallup uh, in these quotes about, no, we want when Dak hits the top of his drop, we want to be coming out of our breaks and we want to pair this. We're seeing that on the field. I just can't believe the entire Kellen Moore era uh, did not emphasize the importance of timing in an NFL offense uh, and the importance of a quarterback knowing on his fifth fifth step, uh, th these routes are available. Uh, when I hitch, now these routes become available. And it is very, you know, this is, this is JT O'Sullivan. This is a quarterback school. This yeah. is offensive architecture. And it sounds like, that the Cowboys weren't thinking about that the last several years, which, which again, I can't quite believe that to be true. If it is that, that that reminds me, like back in the day, you'd have like the new offensive coordinator would come in, and it's like, well, they used to have a downfield passing attack, and now it's the West Coast system, and they're going to care about timing, and they're going to care about, or, or this new defensive coordinator comes in, he's like, well, now we're going to dictate the action, we're going to be aggressive. They weren't aggressive. Right. The old people weren't aggressive. They weren't trying to create havoc on the quarterback. But we're going <laughs> right. to focus on turnovers and being aggressive because they didn't do yes. it. Yes, so that's we what would it, also like that's what to it call the like. touchdown play more often. Right? Yeah, we like the touchdown yeah, thing. It's. I, I will say, in watching Dak, he is getting the ball out quickly. Now, is that because sure. here's okay? So here's another stat that you guys need to know, and you you know, there's a good chance you do, but this is amazing to me. They drafted Tyler Smith in the first round of 2022. The idea was Tyron Smith at left tackle, Tyler Smith at left guard, Tyler Biotish at center. A lot of Tylers here. Uh, Zach Martin at right guard, Terrence Steele at right tackle. How many snaps have those five guys played together since the 2022 draft? I don't know, 50? <laughs> Zero. Zero. They have not been go. on the field for one snap. It could happen Sunday night. It could happen in the first play on Sunday night. But of course, Tyron Smith is 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 still limited in practice, so we don't have any idea if he'll actually play. But uh, they have not had everybody together one single time, and so they go into Arizona, and I think they're down three offensive linemen. Uh, Zach Martin didn't play. Biotis didn't play, and Tyron didn't play. So they're down. So 
Does that explain their quick-hitting game plan, the three-step drop, get it out? The average depth of target for Dak is last in the league yep. uh, with Bryce Young. I mean, it's we, we are wondering what these first four games have taught us. Honestly, it feels like they're just leaving preseason now, and now the 49ers are the regular season, and we're going to see uh, exactly what they're made of on Sunday night, which is altogether frustrating because it's October 5th, guys. <laughs> well, that the only thing that October means to me for the Dallas Cowboys is we're now entering the period of the season where the stadium starts to blind people. You know, that's, yes. that's always a fun period of the year. Yes, always uh, always build your stadium so your windows are facing west. It's all about I, the I heard dapple that's light. That's a great idea. Yeah. Especially if you get... have a lot of 325 kicks. Are you going to try to get to the bottom of that story, Sam? That's like your favorite story in football. It's the... everybody's favorite story. Jerry likes the, well, the so, sun yeah, coming in. How, how, how real is that explanation that they were perfectly aware of this the whole way, but Jerry just likes the way the light looks on the field? Honestly? Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. Yes. I, I, I I think Jerry, <laughs> perhaps when building the stadium, saw Raiders of the Lost Ark uh-huh. and uh, the the map room with the uh, uh, the the stone uh, was it uh, Ra? I, I believe the uh, eyepiece and the, it, the sun hits it at just the right time and shows you where the ark is buried. I'm positive Jerry saw that with the sun going through his windows. It's aesthetically pleasing to the eye. I'm told. Yeah, and so, then uh, the sun comes right in, receivers, and then blinds the middle linebacker, <laughs> and then we're good. Then we can create a, a chunk play down the middle of the field. It's awesome. Yeah. So listen, as a listener of the show, you'll probably be aware that Jerry Jones is my favorite billionaire at the moment. Certainly when it comes to NFL connotations. Uh, That being said, it's difficult to escape the reality that in all these different moving pieces, Jason Garrett, Mike McCarthy, new quarterbacks, new everything, the one constant is Jerry Jones, right? How much of the, to what extent is this his fault? (laughs) How much of it is Jerry being owner, GM, like personal, like fantasy football play thing? Yeah. It's you. Yeah, it is. Um, it's it's honestly, Sam. It's that conversation has been had so many millions of times in this city that uh, by the year twenty twenty three, it's 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 almost completely ignored because of fatigue uh, and because of the feeling that. Uh, nothing really changes because nothing really changes. Um, Jerry remains in power. Uh, like Mike Brown, it will be impossible to get him out of office. Uh, he will uh, he will keep it as long as he wants. And yes, billionaires do live longer than the rest of us. So don't uh, don't wonder uh, if if you will outlast uh, the owner that you can't stand sometimes. <laughs> and so uh, yeah, all the way back to the fact that he could not function with Jimmy Johnson. In in the spring of 1994 is somewhat the same conversation that we are having today. Would you rather uh, get credit for a top 10 team or would you rather win it all but not get the credit? Would uh, Here's another one. Would you rather be number one on the Forbes franchise list for all sports franchises worldwide mm-hmm. or would you rather win a Super Bowl? <laughs> so these are reasonable questions and your actions speak louder than your words and we think we know the answers to these questions but uh, given the fact that you can change quarterbacks and change coaches way easier than you can change the guy who holds the deed to the franchise and the franchise is literally the most valuable 
sports franchise on the planet. We've been kind of stuck since I got here in 1998. <laughs> you, with the, it hasn't changed. Do you think that his motivation is more that I want to get credit versus like, what's the point in owning a franchise if I can't play with it? You know, because that's that's the side of it that I actually have a lot of sympathy for, right? If I was an yeah. if I was a billionaire, I would want to play real life fantasy football. Like I would want to make some decisions. Otherwise, why? Like anybody can go sit in a suite. I don't need to own the franchise to do that, right? I need you to discover some oil money or something so you can own a team. Seriously, Just, I want to see you play with a franchise. Oh, I'm willing yeah. to play that out. I, I... No, it's it's totally reasonable. It's 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 human nature. Uh, if you have a toy, it's it's your right to play with it first. Uh, I would ask you though, Sam or Jerry, if you owned an F one team, would you want to be the driver of the car or would you just be the owner? Um, and that's that's this weird thing is that uh, uh, he does not make all the decisions here. He probably doesn't make most of the decisions here. He just makes the big ones, and the big ones, of course, have the biggest effect. And so when you double down on, say, Jason Garrett as your coach, or you Zeke is your favorite cowboy, and so you pay him, and then you kind of uh, make sure that uh, there's no sort of uh, meritocracy on who's the starting running back or, or Jalen Smith, uh, you know, and some of these deals are kind of a committee of one. Even the Trey Lance deal where he said on record, he didn't really bounce it off anybody. He just pulled the trigger on <laughs> Trey Lance because we loved him in the hold draft. On. And I, hold on. Are, are NFL GMs, are they just bypass? Are they just going right to Jerry at all? Hey, Jerry, you know, are they just calling him directly? Like, hey, we got Trey Lance. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I, I I wonder sometimes. I wish I could give you a a great investigation of uh, of of how the phone conversations work. And obviously, uh, those who are behind closed doors are often somewhat tight lipped about the process. And they have a really good situation where Will McClay is the personnel guy. Stephen Jones is seemingly the 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 main decision maker on most things. And then Jerry Jones and and there's a wonderful and, and many. Sports Sports franchises have this structure as well, where uh, when uh, something goes wrong, it is a game of kind of hot potato, and you really can't pin down who was the point man here. Often, if it goes poorly, they'll say the head coach wanted this, uh, and, and you know, and so there's there's a room full of guys, but the main conversations seem to be pretty much Stephen and Jerry, and perhaps uh, some some. Uh, very uh, expensive per glass uh, bourbon, and, uh, and 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 then uh, hilarity ensues. I, I I will say in their defense, we've made progress. Things are better, and they have a roster build that makes intuitive sense. And it is, I believe, the most homegrown roster in the NFL right now. And they have a very good football team. And so it's easier to reconcile the flying circus when at least they're in the mix because there have been many, many, many seasons uh, in my time here where uh, they were both bad and frustratingly run. And now there, there is still that power structure question and even the Dak Prescott decisions are illuminated with that. But at the same time, you say, well, 
if if this is a poorly run franchise, what's going on with these other teams that aren't winning twelve games a year? So I, you know, it's it, it keeps us busy. Let's put it that way, guys. There's never never a shortage of of content. I have a general fan question here because in uh, Seattle with baseball, some uh, Seattle Mariners fans were upset because GM Jerry Depoto, they, you know, the Mariners didn't make the playoffs. They did last year. They were supposed to be on the upswing. <coughs> And he made some kind of statement which was like, we want to have sustained success, which a lot of executives say. We want to be mm-hmm. good for 10 years. He said, if we win 54% of our games over 10 years, we'll be in the mix. And you never, like one of those years, you, right. you win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, you win yes. a World Series. And football's different, right? Like you're basically saying the same thing. If we win 10 games every year, one right. of those years becomes 13. One of those years, you know, the right breaks go our way and we're in the Super Bowl. Yes. What, are, what are your thoughts from just a team building standpoint, and then from like a fan's perspective, is that acceptable for fans? Because we're we're in this world where it's like you either won it or you didn't. Like thirty one teams fail every yeah. single year to those fan bases, but is that the right strategy? Like, which again, I think Dallas has created a good, sustainable team. They should be a ten win caliber team for at least the next three years. That'll be five straight years of ten wins. Is that acceptable right now? And that puts you on the green, where maybe you hit the long putt one of those years. Yeah. Well, I mean. When you say is that acceptable, it's it it's the proven way to win in this league, unless you're Tom Coughlin and Eli Manning. Uh, <laughs> they had the incredible trick of only making the playoffs once every five years and then winning the Super Bowl that year. Right. And never losing and, the and playoffs. I, I've never seen anything like it. And I still look back at their era and try to figure out how Eli Manning missed the playoffs so many times, and yet will most certainly be in Canton. So you know the 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 Eli Romo conversation of a decade long uh, is still one of the most complicated conversations of all time because I believe in my bones that Tony Romo was a better quarterback than Eli Manning, but I also know that legacy-wise, it doesn't matter and it shouldn't matter because Eli Manning had eight meaningful January and February wins and Tony Romo beat the Lions once in a wildcard game. And that's pretty much what we're talking about in terms of you know how this whole thing works. To your point, it's pretty much proven that the best way to win a title is to be in the postseason consistently every year as opposed to going all in that this is our year uh it's a field goal it's a penalty it's this it's that the one year abnormalities are just too severe to to push their chips all in despite the fact that the buccaneers and the rams just did it and it worked (laughs) so so now everybody's brains are even further fractured but um the the issue with the, the tony romo jason garrett era has to be has to be that they did not make the playoffs consistently. Uh, when Garrett was hired in 2010, they missed, and, and that was a half season, so that's not fair, but they missed it in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2015. So with Romo's last six years where he had figured out the NFL, and of course his health was going, but they made the playoffs, made the playoffs one out of six seasons. And you can't do it that way. So with Dak Prescott, you say, okay, uh, still no back-to-back years under Garrett, 16, yes, 18, yes, and then no to 17, 19, and 20. M- McCarthy comes in here in 20, the COVID year. They miss the playoffs because Dak's leg collapsed, and uh, then playoffs in 21 and 22. We assume 23 as well, and 
yes, that's the formula, right? That's the formula to eventually winning it all. It just doesn't prove or guarantee anything. It just means you've got the best chance in the casino because you keep spinning, right? Bob, you're one of the few people out here in the landscape that's actually older than we are. So I'm not sure you... I'm not sure you go all the way back to this, uh, at least not in terms of professional, but you probably saw it. To what extent are the Micah Parsons LT, Lawrence Taylor, comparisons apt? Because, you know, usually when you get these guys come into the league and they're compared to some Hall of Famer or superstar, it's immediately ridiculous. And yet it doesn't feel like it is for Micah Parsons. No, and I think what makes Micah... um basically channel lt is just his absurd uh ability to go from zero to 100 when the ball is snapped and uh it's it's certainly he's not the only guy i mean tj watt has many of uh, those uh, those characteristics and 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 we just see guys who play uh every down like their life is depending on it as uh somewhat outliers just because it's it's really easy uh i i remember uh you know your show last week where where uh you know you guys were talking about the fact that uh that the you know the guys who are running the tyreek uh uh, short motion don't do it at full speed all the time because the ball's not coming to me and michael parsons and lt don't play that way they play like uh you know it's the old joe dimaggio thing where you this might be the only snap of me you ever see in your life and so i have to show you what i'm all about right here right now and that's what michael parsons is the questions of course are can his body hold up at this pace and uh you know health wise and just you know if he can it's 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 already in dallas this conversation of I know those two guys have gold jackets, but is he really better than Charles Haley and DeMarcus Ware already? And at least you guys have seen that era very clearly, and and you know how great DeMarcus Ware was. He's one of my favorite players I've ever seen. He wasn't this. He wasn't this every week. And so um, I think the Micah-LT comparisons sound ridiculous and yet make sense to me. Um, I also know that part of LT's image or mysticism was that he was a complete psychopath off the field and while i do know that micah is a handful see the fact that they never take him out of games even when they're up 40 because nobody wants to deal with him on the sideline uh complaining that he was just taken out of a game when he could be uh you know chasing down another quarterback um there, there, I'm, I'm positive there are there are some differences. I also am pretty positive he's going to get like thirty five million dollars a year next year, and uh, and he is he, he he looks historically great. And as you guys have said, and as the entire world has said, he wasn't an edge rusher in his draft. This makes no sense. It, it, it makes all of our draft <laughs> nerdom look like a complete waste of time sometimes. It's going to ruin all sorts of like pretty good pass rushing linebackers coming out. Like, oh, let's move them to the edge. It's like, no, no, Micah right. is one of one when it comes to that there's there's no way you do that and his size says we should run right at him and i'm sure kyle shanahan wants to do that on sunday and because everybody does it makes sense if you're going to run a 240 pound defensive end out there we have to punish him physically with the run i'll tell you and you guys know this when you run right at micah parsons you're probably going to tackle for loss now you might be taking his legs away for the fourth quarter and maybe that's really why you're doing it but 
the the way to beat Micah Parsons is what what they did on that Dobbs play where they get him to eat the cheese and and use his over pursuit against him on a zone read. Uh, if you can do that, you can perhaps elude him. You better be right though, because it's going to hurt if you're wrong. But um, but but running right at Micah, he he defeats blocks so quickly when he's at the point of attack that that I don't really think that's nearly as big a weakness as people want to save just because no. they they see his weight and they say, well, this is clearly his weakness. I don't think that's true with him. Yeah, sometimes it is interesting seeing how a smart offensive coordinator handles that because sometimes it's like, well, you can't always just run away from him or you can't always you know read off of him. Sometimes you run at him, away from him, you screen, you do all these things. Like that was what happened with um, the Chiefs and Nick Bosa last year, right? Yeah. They had him running yeah. in circles. Like we don't, we're just gonna always make him wrong, or you know, right. make his life difficult. Um, Dallas is maybe too good to just focus on Micah Parsons, but um, looking forward to the whole cat and mouse game. Yeah, we'll yeah, let you. Go ahead. Marcus Lawrence is so good too. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna say we'll let you get out with uh, with a prediction. What are you expecting for this game? What are you expecting? In the trenches with the quarterback battle, do you have a, a prediction for the game, an official prediction? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, if if you're looking for the outcome, the the most likely outcome is a, a close 49ers win. Uh, being the home team, I would probably roll the other way if it was in Dallas uh, because I do think the Cowboys are a slightly less scary team if you can play them on grass. And uh, I think that slows down the pass rush a little bit. I think they are much better on uh, the turf and a little bit faster. Uh, I also don't know that I can trust this offense on the road just yet, uh, or at least against a heavyweight defense who has been in their kitchen, um, who has been sitting on their route combinations under Kellen Moore. And this is a this is a really good test. Now, I will say I anticipate. The Cowboys have been keeping some of their scheme in the bag until this game. Uh, for instance, the the large group of people that say, why won't Dak ever keep the ball in the red zone like he used to and uh, and keep on the zone read and uh, just walk into the end zone because everybody's sitting on the give because it's always the give with him. I anticipate that will happen on Sunday like it happened in the playoffs last year. So, um there's that. Really, the key for the Cowboys, though, and what went wrong in the playoffs is they had a chance to pick off Brock Purdy three times, and they came up with none of them. And if you're going to go minus at Levi Stadium, you're going to lose. You've got to win the turnover battle, not to sound like every football coach in the history of football, but in this particular case, the Cowboys' defense is built on getting takeaways. They got zero that day. They were able to recover a punt fumble is all but none from their defense none from their big play defense uh they had two sacks one more was nullified on a defensive hold in the secondary and so um the they got good pressure they were unable to get the ball and so that combined with Brock Purdy putting together double digit play drives late in the game a 13 play touchdown drive a 10 play field goal drive the Cowboys couldn't get back off the field. The offense let them down, make no mistake. But the defense ran out of gas after a fantastic performance, and it will be based on takeaways. So short answer, 49ers by a hair. Longer answer, if the Cowboys can turn Purdy over once a half, uh, there's no question they can win this game. But Purdy's really good at not turning the ball over, so we'll been. see how that goes. Sam, Sam believes this is uh, – did you say you believe this means a lot? Or it means nothing. I believe it means a lot you to mean, prove. Yeah. 
The, how much does it actually mean for the Cowboys <laughs> to prove that they could beat a 49ers-Eagles caliber team? All right, so here's the answer to that. If they lose, it will mean a lot. If they win, they won't even get off the field and people will say, Oh, nice. Well, let's see that. Yeah, in do January. it in the playoffs. So, 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 uh, it, it it's a it's a, a no win proposition for the Cowboys uh, if they're going to hear the noise because the noise is ten thousand days of noise. You're not gonna you're not gonna wipe that away with an October Week Five win. But uh, if you lose and if you score twelve points again offensively and if you have uh, a couple giveaways that are just uh, inexcusable in a big situation, then the noise is going to get louder. Uh, but welcome to Cowboys football, where it's always loud. Well, my, my take on the yelling shows is if the Cowboys win, we're talking Dak Prescott MVP conversation no matter what happens. <laughs> Unless it's Micah Parsons with six sacks, then he gets the MVP. And if the sure. Niners win, we're talking Brock Purdy, Christian McCaffrey for MVP. So a very you know mild takes on Monday morning. It'll all sway depending on what happens in this game. So The football noise machine won't stop, boys. It will not. Never. Well, Bob, we appreciate it, man. Tell everybody again where to get the uh, the Substack and where to hear you and listen to you and read you. Yeah, uh, at SportsDerm on Twitter or whatever we call it these days. Uh, and uh, then uh, that will get you to Sturm Stack on the Substack. Uh, tons of Cowboy content on there uh, just about every day. And uh, theticket.com if you want to listen to me babble more and uh, super long answers that sometimes uh, even even go over two minutes if I'm really uh, warm. Our, our people are conditioned for that, Bob. Mm-hmm. As you know, we are, they're conditioned for <laughs> I those love answers. It. Big fan, guys. I really am. And I appreciate what you guys do for the football intelligence of America. A former not big fan as well. Don't forget, former PFF hater turned fan. True. I, I was a I was a late adopter. I was a cynical uh, curmudgeon of the media, and uh, I've come around over the years. And and now I, I would hate to watch football without uh, PFF in my life. Appreciate. It. We'll get. We'll have to get you talking to the Pittsburgh media because they're they're you <laughs> ten years ago, right now. Bob Sturm, appreciate you joining the PFF NFL podcast. Appreciate it, man. Take it easy. Thank you, gentlemen. See you. Yeah, he was uh, he was on Twitter years ago, Sam. Yeah, right? when we were the, the early days of PFF. I mean, we were. I always uh, liken it to us being like little brother looking for a little, you know, credibility. You know, we had to kind of stick up for ourselves because a lot of people are like, who are these idiots, right? <laughs> and maybe sometimes rightfully so. So we used to always have to step up and say, no, 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 we know what we're talking about. No, we got good data. The data is good. The grades are good. And Bob was one of the first people that was. Like, what are these people talking about? As he had just admitted there. And then years later, like I don't even remember talking to him. And years later, he was like, "Man, I love you guys." We're like, "What? I don't remember that." Hmm. You know, things changed. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the the shouty shows a minute ago. Did you see? Uh, it, well, what the hell? <laughs> I wasn't going to name names, but since he's our direct competition on a Monday morning, did you see the juxtaposition of week to week by Kyle Brandt? So this week he went on a rant about Mike McDaniel's offense, like you're not revolutionizing the game. It's just blah blah. Like a whole like two minute thing, you know, that they put out in social. Like, yeah, check out this rant. Literally the week before, he had been like, "This is changing the game. It's like the best thing in the world." It's like the exact opposite of what you said. Coming off the seventy point win, right? Well, oh, this is incredible. And then, ah, oh, you just get your ass kicked by Buffalo. This is a joke. Everyone got out of control. 
it's just that world must be so fascinating. We're like, but it's easy things that it's existed. an easy world to live in because you know what you need to say. But somebody, uh, Stephen Ruiz of The Ringer, was like, "Oh, I, I appreciate the bit now. Like I, now seeing that back to back, like I respect it." I'm like, I don't even think it's a bit. I think you just get when you're in the shouty show world. Ten days is meaningless. Like the only seven days is as far as we go before. That's as far back as the information bank exists, right? Ten days, is, pff, that doesn't mean anything. It's what, what did you do in the last seven? That's what we shout about. Yeah. And anything that happened beyond that is last week's shouting show. I didn't get the Dolphins take this week. Because it wasn't like Mike McDaniels was doing press conferences being like, oh, yeah, we figured this game out. Yeah, we got this. Yeah, we got the new motions. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to drop 70 on Buffalo now. It wasn't like he was bragging about it. He was just going coaching football and doing a good job of it. Hmm. And then, you know, Kyle, Kyle tore him apart. I just, but that, I wonder how much it's the, the production meetings are like, well, I'm not going to overreact to this game. You know, Miami's still really, really good. You know, it's just one game. It's in Buffalo. Maybe you, they'll get him in Miami. That'd be me. Right. That, that's the take I'm going to bring to the table. Can you imagine how much like, you No, be, no, no. We need stronger than that. Right. Can you imagine how much you would be laughed out of the room if you came in and, all right, Steve, what do you want to talk about this week? And you pitch your, like, sitting on the fence take about whatever yeah. just happened. They're like, get that out now. Yeah. Leave. Let me tell you about both sides of the equation. Let me, <laughs> let me just let me try to give you a little balanced take give, here. Give you a little positive and yeah. negative. Like, and get Dan O's hell. like, you're telling me Anthony Richardson is, is an accurate? Look at this one right. throw. They're like, get out right now. Get out of here. Get out of here right now. Find me any rando on Twitter that's going to come in with hotter stuff than that. You're, you're fired immediately. One thing I meant to ask, I mean, we, we went for a while, but the one thing I did want to ask him too is, is Dak Prescott unfairly uh, criticized? You know, nationally, mm-hmm. because you know, I do my my Mississippi radio hit every Thursday morning, and they're they're DAC people, and they're always they hear the noise. The DAC people hear the noise. Like, why are you criticizing him every step of the way? Is the Dallas Cowboys starting quarterback overly criticized? You know, across the nation versus you know someone else. Yeah, I mean, it is right. Like that's, but that's the that's the Dallas Cowboys quarterback in a post Troy Aikman slash Super Bowl winning world, right? Like. Tony Romo always took a ton of crap because he never won the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, Dak Prescott is in the similar vein now. It's like until somebody comes in here and wins a championship, you're going to take crap relative to probably how good you've been. Um, I know we've got my GM segment. Yeah. Um, Real quick, do you have a take on that? So, again, I want to go back to this Mariners GM quote. So Mariners fans are really upset about this. That the GM who's been there eight said, years. We just want to be slightly above average for a long period it's of time. It's not slightly above average, but it was basically like if you win, like going, but that's the winning gist. 54% yes. of your, that's that's like winning 70%, say, in the NFL. Okay. So if you say we're a 10-win team, right? 54% is like really good in baseball? Over like over a 10-year stretch? You slightly win more games than you lose, that's good? No, but it, it's what that's like eighty four. That's like eighty five, eighty six wins. So if you win ninety games, yeah. ninety a ninety games in baseball, which is what ninety, that's probably like six hundred ball. Okay, I'd say, but ninety's the equivalent of say like a ten win, ten or eleven win team. Okay, so if you're a little bit below that, you're you're kind of on the green. Like you're going to sneak into the playoffs and maybe be able to make a run. Mm-hmm. So fifty four might be a little bit low, but that's basically the study he's leaning into. But if you're an NFL team and you could say, hey, we can win nine. Or ten games every year, in that, and but we're not going to make moves to theoretically try to get to thirteen. We're not going to do these extreme moves because if we don't get there, we might have the Ram season this year. You know, that was his point. Do you have a, a take on that either way? Like that consistent, like what the Vikings have done, that consistent success versus going for it. 
Um, I mean, I think they're right, but you need, but the aim needs to be like if you can, if your aim is if we can just get to the playoffs every year, that's that's the starting point. But you still need to be looking for the thing that's going to take you from the divisional round or the wild card round to a Super Bowl. Like you can't just say we're good. We get here every year. Like, you need to try and find the thing that's going to take you to that spot, which is harder because, like, 90% of your resources is already tied up in just getting to the playoffs every year, right? But you still need to sort of have, like, where are we getting the next 10% from? What's the next edge that's going to get us over the hump? How can we get a player that changes this, blah, blah, blah? Like, there should still be 10% of your resources dedicated to trying to find that thing that changes the dynamic so that we can go somewhere. But I agree that like you played uh, you, your your analogy is is the right one the golf thing right let's just play to get on the green and then every now and again you're gonna hole a fifty foot putt and when you do that you win a championship like let's it's easier to do the Eli Manning thing where the stars align you win four random games that you had no business winning and you end up with a championship it's easier to do that when you're in the playoffs every single year than it right. is like the one time you make it in the na- in five years you know what right. I mean. Yeah, it's just it's also probably harder in football because the thing that's going to get you over the hump, like th- this was the Bengals for years under Andy Dalton. They were a good team that made the wild card round, right? Pretty much every year, and the only thing that was really going to get them over a hump, over the hump, was a better quarterback. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, well, how do you? That's how thing. do you just do that? So it's, I mean, that's I almost would think about it in quarterback terms. Like if we can find a guy that will get us to the playoffs every single year, now we have a starting point. And generally speaking. Yeah. At this in today's NFL, a quarterback that will basically guarantee you a playoff spot every single year is a top ten quarterback, right? And I think we, and I've said this before on our show. I think sometimes we get too caught up on, and we would take this big risk to hopefully get that next quarterback, even though when you're sitting in the seat, it is a difficult thing to do. Sure. When you have a Marcus Mariota and Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback, and you have eight or nine wins every single year in their prime. That's a tough thing to move on from sometimes because you feel like you're getting on the green, even yeah. though you know there's a there's a. But pump. even that guy feels, you know, the, even the Kirk Cousins. I mean, it's the Kirk Cousins line, the Matt the Matt Ryan inflection point, the Kirk Cousins inflection point. Like, is Kirk Cousins actually a quarterback that will drag you to the playoffs every single year? Not really. Whereas Andrew Luck was the type of quarterback that would drag pretty much any roster in right. the NFL to the playoffs every single year, and then how successful they were once they got there was down to, well, how good is this team around him? Yeah, are you making which the good usually, decisions? <clears throat> which usually was not very good. Right. <clears throat> do you have an ad read now So before we can jump in other segments? Oh, I do. It's not just an ad read. I'm telling you about our friends over at Prize Picks. Okay. Because we have me. picks for tonight. So Thursday Night Football is tonight. We have Sam Howell over one-and-a-half touchdown passes and DJ Moore over three-and-a-half receptions. Talked about this a little bit in our game preview yesterday. This is the PFF Prize Picks lineup for Thursday Night Football. Prize Picks is a skill-based, real-money, daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they will go more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Prize Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience. Watch your progress update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and then cash out your winnings with quick scoring setting and settling and withdrawals. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projection. So Prize Picks entries, they can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's really easy. And then they offer frequent discounts, bonuses, and other exciting offers. You can even pick in-game projections after a game has started, including halves, quarters, periods, and more. So you go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for that first deposit match up to $100. Again, it's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL 
for first deposit match up to $100. So we're watching Howell over one and a half touchdowns and DJ Moore over three and a half receptions tonight. Mm -hmm. Do we get to like track this and then if we stink, we can mock our advertising people, our sales team? Yeah, our sales team is making these picks. Right. And then we're commenting, that's good. I mean, I kind of like these. I'm, I w- I'm, I'm good with this one tonight. But yeah, we can yeah. we can track it and then mock them appropriately. I like it, but the Sam Howell thing is like a 50-50 proposition based on four games. And that's if you include the rushing touchdowns, which we didn't clarify. It's the Bears defense it that is. makes me think yeah. this is doable. Mm-hmm. All right, mailbag. Email came in. Uh, NFL podcast at pff.com. This one from John Metzinger. So remember, we, we actually was up with you. Yeah. We talked about the Josh Allen versus Josh Allen thing. You know, the, the weird game. Oh, you're reading this one? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he says the last time Josh Allen played Josh Allen, the visiting Josh Allen glitched. Mm. We theorized at the time that this was due to a sci fi effect called temporal distortion. This being a Buffalo home game on the schedule, the theory <laughs> posits that Buffalo Josh Allen would play well. But Jaguar Josh Allen would glitch. However, it's actually at a neutral site. Or you could make the case that it's a home game for Jacksonville because, you know, the London team. Uh, so what does this do for that theory? That was – we didn't consider that. Does someone have to glitch? I mean, I think there's just can no two Josh Allens be in the same place at the same time and both play well? Maybe there's no glitches. Maybe that offsets things. The Bills have the Jags Hotel. The Jags are in their home city of London. Mm-hmm. The Bills are the home team on paper. Maybe we just see the best of both, Josh. A lot of conflicting variables. There is. He also makes a point in this email that uh, it's an interesting... Apparently, Von Miller and Tredavious White have yet to be on the field at the same time. One of them has been injured at all times. Yeah, I didn't realize... I mean, in my head, I was thinking, that's unfortunate. Von Miller's coming back as Tredavious White gets hurt. But I I did not think back to last year if that... Yeah, like White came back after Miller got hurt. It's like the you know, what Bob was talking about. Those offensive linemen have never been on the field together. That is actually crazy. Two of Buffalo's most important players have not been on the field at the same time since they were acquired. I know I'm about to be a GM, but <laughs> I don't know if I want the job for all those reasons. Like you're sitting there, you're the Dallas Cowboys, and you're like, man, I got this perfect plan. I got my perfect plan. I got this offensive line. I got Tyler Smith. He's going to be my guard, future left tackle. And you don't even get to see them. Or you just spent the whole offseason like, man, I made these great moves, and then you're the Giants, and they just go out and score three points at home in two games. I would, that'd be miserable. Oh, I mean, just um, like injuries. How how annoyed would injuries make you if you were a GM? Like so annoyed, particularly if you're, you know, the guy that you um, like the Trayvon Diggs thing, right? We just give him the bag, and it's like, yep, gone. Come that would on. that would certainly annoy me when the. When the injury-prone guy gets hurt, it's a little of your right. own doing. Yeah, yeah. And if but you're yeah. taking the risk knowing that there's a pretty yeah. good chance this guy's not going to hold up and all and those you, kinds of things. But if you literally, like, perfectly healthy player, and either you just go sign him in free agency or you just, like, give him a giant contract extension. And then he's hurt. And then, like, immediately, yeah. bop, done, out for the year. Yeah. Come on. And even when, when Bob was mentioning the two, Cowboy, two of the Cowboy seasons where they didn't make the playoffs, it was one where Tony Romo got hurt immediately and Matt Castle was the starter. Yep. And then when you need Dak to Prescott, explain your joke, by the way. There's, there's no way more than you and me remember that. The Dak yeah. joke? Yeah, so then in 2020, Dak breaks his ankle and his ankle's falling off on national TV and Tony Romo, as they're going to break, says, uh, I get a hope it's a spray in there, Jim. Cramp. Cramp. Oh, hope it's just a cramp. It cramp. Sorry. Yeah. 
man, it's even worse. So, like, you know, because people might like, think you were callous joking about an injury. But the point is, it's one of the funniest and worst moments of commentary that's ever happened in a football game. They are cutting to an image of Tony Romo, try, or of uh, Dak Prescott, rather, trying to, like, put his foot back on his leg. It's, like, pointing, you know, off and backwards and stuff. And he's, like, trying to put it, like, reattach it. And Tony Romo's like, I don't know, Jim, you just got to hope that's cramp. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not cramp, Tony. Pretty sure. I'm not a doctor, but based off the image I'm looking at, it's not cramp. It's not cramp. What an all-time call there. It really is. It's on if you, if you Google Tony, Bob, some, Bob was taking his – Yeah. He had, if you Google something along too. those lines, you'll find it. It's, it's horrendous. It's just – feels like we just talked about that on the podcast, and that was three years ago. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Right this month, three years ago. All I'm saying is two of those years that the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs, their starter was gone within the first yeah. quarter of the season. Right. That would be very frustrating. Which is obviously. Yeah, always a variable in these things. But I'm willing to become a GM if needed. Yeah, certainly for the money. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'll be, be that good. and I'll be an owner too. You give me the cash to make be, that happen, I'm in. Be good for the family. I'll I take whatever, whatever franchise is going. You know, I'll even take an expansion franchise. Do we have any other emails or are we just are we going? Uh, so we have... We have one more general question that came from the Discord, which you'll find the link to the Discord in the description of this show. Come hang out. There's all kinds of stuff going on in there. Uh, <laughs> this one, I hadn't looked at the name before I was going to read this one out. It's, uh, it's Mike, M-I-K-E, and then Crutch. Yeah. Which, if you put it together, is Mike Crutch. Yeah. I mean, you got to say the name of our Discord people. you got to say their name out loud. So sure. That's Why good. not? Anyway, Mike Crutch has asked, uh, <laughs> what's the limit on how much a truly inexperienced rookie quarterback can learn on the job in the NFL? Is it possible for somebody like Trey Lance to become good as a starter, or is there a point where the inexperience makes the learning curve so steep that they'll basically always get benched or broken first? I don't know, man. I, I think one of the most difficult things as an analyst is to remember – that everybody learns or picks things up at a different rate. I think, and, and I don't know how you quantify that or predict that. So, for every, again, Josh Allen spent two years not playing all that well. And Bills fans might argue he actually did because the Bills won a lot of games when he played. They did. And argue. they, and look, there's probably something to that, right? Like Josh right. Allen brought value to the table in his first two years, but he was not a good NFL quarterback at that point. He'd shown incredible flashes of brilliance and terrible. And then who knew in year three he would get rid of the terrible? Like, I don't know how you predict that. I don't know how you predict that Mahomes just sitting for a year would just, his first year, put up an MVP caliber season. Or that Justin Herbert, who looked like he might need a little bit of time, would be forced into the lineup because they stabbed Tyrod Taylor by accident and would look like a great NFL quarterback almost immediately. I can't believe that happened. Sorry. I thought you were going to say you couldn't Not believe you I said it. No, no, no that, 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 yeah. that's right. They did it. Yeah. Like, Justin Herbert is only a thing in the NFL, you know, within reason. Because, like, it was a second game? Yeah, they stabbed him by accident. They, giving him a pain-killing injection, managed to, in fact, puncture his lung by mistake. Yeah. So, um, or, or say, right now, we're C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Right, you've got people. We did our QB rankings. Both of us had Bryce Young above C.J. Stroud. So the the Stroud people are told you, told you back in April, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you. And it's like we're four weeks in, and 
I'm very impressed with C.J. Stroud, and I'm not going to take anything away from him, but there's also a chance that Bryce Young looks really good in Week 8 or next year yeah. or next year in Week 8. Then there's Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence took a year and a half, and we're sitting here like, where is it? I know this guy's talented. Where is it? Where is it? It took him a year and a half, and then his switch flipped, and he looks great. So I don't know how you predict that. And then when you're in it, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I have no answer, <laughs> and uh, that's why I'm not on the yelling shows. Yeah. I mean, so the answer to the question is there probably is a line, right? Like, is there a line at which a guy is so inexperienced, so far away from where he needs to be, that it's simply never going to work within the confines of the NFL, right? Particularly if the guy needs to start quickly, and you're like, how do we get him from point A to point B whilst each week, like, manufacturing a game plan and what we can do and how that works? I, I would say yes, right? For exactly the same reason that Brock Lesnar wasn't able to rock up and like become Aaron Donald just because he was an athletic freak show. Remember Brock Lesnar gave the NFL a shot in, yeah. in like, Brock Lesnar went through a period of his career where he just decided to take up like every sport known to man and show that as like this true alpha like specimen of a human, he could just crush everybody at everything, right? And he gave the NFL a shot and he was a defensive lineman for the Minnesota Vikings and he played in preseason a little bit and they were like we think you've got something. Like, we'd like to keep you on the practice squad and turn you into a player. But for him, it's like, why? I, I'm rich. Why would, the practice squad is not a good enough gig for me, right? If I can't make it as an NFL player basically right away, I'm not interested. And then he goes to the UFC and, you know, becomes a star there, like a different star. The point being, he wasn't able to just show up, take up football, and then within like a couple of months become that guy. Maybe down the line it would have happened, but probably not. Uh, so there's a limit to which, you know, you're so inexperienced at this, it's not going to happen, right? And I think the same thing is true with a quarterback. If you have a guy that simply just has no clue what he's doing, has no idea, you're not going to get him from there to being like viable NFL starter within the confines of a reasonable space of time in the NFL. But specific to Trey Lance, like it, I think it's another good example of how important all of the other variables are, Right. We, at the time, certainly I did at the time, was like any quarterback, I literally said this, any quarterback drafted by Shanahan at three is going to be rookie of the year. Because you put him out there, that offense is a cheat code. It's able to make Nick Mullins throw for 7.7 yards per attempt. Anybody's going to look great there. I think we, or at least I, uh, misrepresented the fact that you actually do need a specific skill set to thrive within that offense. You need to be able to take number one option, time after time after time. And even if that results in some bad decisions, it's not really on you, right? That Who was it that was telling us before? Um, JT, right? Where there are certain things your coach should just hit the dig. Yeah, if just do if, it. If they sit yeah. on it and they pick it off, that's on me. It's not you. Hit the dig, right? Shanahan needs a guy that's going to hit what he dials up, number one, every time. And sometimes that's going to result in a bad interception, but that's theoretically on Shanahan, not on you. Trey Lance was, like, so inexperienced and lost in the sauce that he can't even hit. Like, he's just paralyzed, kind of like the Justin Fields thing at the moment. He can't put the ball in the air. Like, he can't hit number one regularly over and over again, even if he was taking that shot. So he doesn't work in this offense. Now, does that mean that Trey Lance can't function in any NFL offense? I would say probably not. And there might be systems out there where the – like, systems that would lean into more of his just raw athleticism and – ability to create off the cuff and whatever if he ran greg roman's offense right might actually be better for him at this point and turn him into a viable quarterback and when you're in that spot 
that's the bridge time you need, right? Yeah. The Greg Roman offense that Lamar Jackson ran for his first year, if Lamar was thrown into a different, like a regular, say, to conventional NFL offense, day one, does he thrive the same way? Probably not. Like if they just plugged him into Joe Flacco's offense and said, okay, you're up now. Yeah. I don't think it works as well. They needed that bridge time to get him from where he started at to where he needed to get to. And he was far further along than a guy like Trey Lance. But the point is that bridge time was important because that's propping him up enough to, for it to be viable. So to answer the question, yes, I think there's a line at which it's just never going to happen. But Trey Lance specifically, I think there are offenses that would suit him better than the one he ended up in, ironically, which is seen as like a cheat code for everybody. The thing I'll add about, is there a line? Um, I might be repeating this take a lot in the next few months. I think a lot of times we look at QB evaluation and we say the NFL's bad at it. And the same thing we say about kickers, kicker evaluation, we're bad at it. But it's because there's only a starter, right? You only hit if you find a starter and you find a starter who is above a certain threshold as a starter and does it quickly, right? That's what hitting on a quarterback, the, the margin is so tight. Whereas if you draft an offensive tackle, you could start him at guard, he could be a backup at first. Even if he doesn't hit, he could, if, if he's serviceable, that's okay, right? You can't, if you have a quarterback who just becomes serviceable, immediately you're trying to replace him within three years. Uh, you know, that's like Mac Jones in New England. You're already like, well, he's serviceable. Well, that's not enough. We need the next guy. So that's part of the issue in QB evaluation. So where's the line? It's almost like, hey, maybe like you're sitting there in year three of Sam Darnold with the Jets. Hey, maybe he'll figure it out. But we can't be the ones to invest and find out. Maybe he figures it out somewhere else. Or if you're like the Dolphins and Ryan Tannehill, he's a good starter. He was fine. But we, gotta do, we have to do something better. We need to do something beyond Ryan Tannehill. Maybe he figures it out somewhere, somewhere else, but we got to do something better. That's part of where the line is, too, where you have to say, we, we just have to move on because we need to have the guy that's better right now instead of waiting for this guy to figure it out. That's why you see a lot of that stuff. And that's why it feels like QB evaluation is so hit or miss, because it is, because you're throwing them into an environment where if they don't hit, it is a miss. And you have to move on to try to find the next hit. And it's really not fair. And it's not, it's not apples to apples with other positions. Yeah. There's, there, I mean, there's a time element to this as well. Like, how long does it actually take to get a guy from point A to point B? And does that, also, does that coincide with the time that he's going to have as a starter before you need to cut bait and move on? I mean, this is the Geno discussion, right? Geno Smith, right? Like, somebody pointed this out the other day. When I brought up Carson Wentz as like, hey, the cautionary tale – like you think everybody's doing great or badly through four weeks. Through four weeks in 2016, Carson Wentz was the best quarterback in that class by a mile, right? Jared Goff hadn't got on the field yet, and when he did, it was a train wreck. Uh, and somebody was like— Well, Dak was really good that year, too. But Yeah, yeah, but Wentz was still better. Like, PFF grade, stats, four weeks. Wentz through four weeks, yeah. Another world. Um, and then second year, Wentz was, you know, borderline MVP candidate or MVP candidate before getting hurt. Anyway, the point being— uh, somebody was like, imagine telling somebody in 2016 that, like, in the year 2023, Geno Smith is going to look like a stud and Carson Wentz will be out of the league. Like, wouldn't have made any yeah, sense. good luck. With, right. <laughs> good luck with that. So there's a time element here. Geno, disaster in his first couple of stop, starts, or at least clearly not viable, right? Flashes, four-week periods, and then, no, you're not going to be it. You cut bait, you move on from Geno. Maybe Geno, like, and then sitting years on the sideline, uh, eventually, somewhere in that 
period, he ends up becoming a, a, a starting caliber, high, reasonably high-end quarterback. Where was that? Where did that happen? Was it a gradual thing over that period? Did he just reach a line where it's like, I'm actually quite did, good now? Did he always have it, right. but he was in a bad situation? In or just New simply York? like, if yeah. had he played, had he kept going, had the Jets given him like a, a theoretically limitless period of time, does he hit that line? Like, was he six months away from becoming today's Geno Smith? Had they simply been a little bit more patient? Was it three years? Like, you know what I mean? There's Let's... Um... Let's make one of those predictions right now. So you said so, so in the year 2030, yeah. uh, Zach Wilson is an above-average NFL quarterback, but Drake May is out of the league. That, I mean, that, <laughs> that's honestly what you just somewhat predicted. Yeah. I mean, maybe a little extreme because Wilson's start has been worse than what Geno Smith's was. But, right. Um, but it's kind of similar. Like pedestrian, whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's just It is crazy, though. Like how do you predict that? Yeah. I mean, the one – Justin Fields would be the guy that I would roll the dice on in terms of guy that currently looks nowhere near becoming good. But Justin Fields, I like. But I even have, that's not crazy because people are talking about him as, as an MVP candidate this year, right? But Maybe. But that was that was weeks. I told you, beyond seven days, the shouty shows don't want to hear it. The shouty shows have no recollection of the fact that they were pushing MVP candidacy for Justin Fields preseason. All the shouty shows know is that right now Justin Fields is garbage. Shouty shows, yeah. I started that one. We're going to keep that one going. <laughs> shouty shows. Uh, I want to tell you about our next partner, AG1. They're helping my voice. We should have a segment one time where it's just like literally us just yelling at each other across the yell. table. And it's and we make it the complete opposite of whatever we like whatever we said on the preview show, we make it seem like that never existed. We say the complete opposite. Of course the Bills killed the Dolphins. We didn't pick the Dolphins to win. Or the of bit, course the Bills won by twenty. Or the bit is like translating the shouty show, you know, so one of us screams yeah. for like thirty seconds about whatever and the other one translates what that actually means is a realistic, you know, fair minded. Oh, yeah, there's a bit. There's definitely a bit in there. Um, my voice is back on the mend because I've been chugging my AG one, drink it every day. Because uh, I need I need all my supplements. I need all my vitamins, nutrients. Drink it every single morning. It makes me feel great. Kicking off the day. Add it with my coffee, and I'm good to go. All great athletes have one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. That's what I'm trying to do. Take care of my body with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me all the key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about... Everybody, this helps me, you, athletes, doesn't really matter. Just mix one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning, then you are done. I also like that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's this really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients that is a win-win for all of the PFF NFL podcast. For comprehensive, solu- comprehensive solutions, what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel, pa- travel packs with your first purchase. You go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Be sure to check it out. Also appreciate our listeners tagging us on Twitter, tagging AG1 and say, Steve, just get your AG1. Mm-hmm. Like they were telling me, heard your voice, go get your AG1, you'll be fine. Yep. So they You know what I think would also make a, a funny segment or repeating bit? Uh, just like the funniest thing you saw on Twitter that week, you know? So somebody, I don't know why, I don't even know what this is in relation to, but I just got tweeted at, oh, it was in Jalen Carter for some reason, so it doesn't even make sense. Anyway, somebody at Touch the Banner had this tweet. (laughs) I like Sam Howell's physical capabilities, but he has the pocket awareness of a plastic fork. (laughs) I just just think that's funny. Plastic forks, yeah. 
I, I, I think that would be good, right? If we had, but I'm not. I'm too lazy to go and like curate them. I need people to, like send me funny things. I'm trying not to be mean to Sam Howell because I sure, think there's but a I lot just, of good stuff in there. But I did. I, I mean, do you think this is funny? I said his his internal clock is an hourglass in no. the pocket. No, that's like a dad joke. That's that's bad. Uh, oh, I thought that was good. No. You like the plastic fork? Plastic fork's funny. Okay. Hourglass for a clock? That's not, no. Oh, that's right. the kind of joke. Does anybody so. know what an hourglass is? Oh, maybe that's why. Ah, that's why it doesn't work. I mean, that's like, you know, you know that's bad. That's, that's, that's the kind of joke old people make. Yeah, I'm getting old. All right, yeah. what are we doing? We're doing a Ask Palo Zolo GM, what, the, the consultant GM. That's what we call this thing, right? It's been a while since we've done this. Let's go. I'm out of practice. Well, we need to throw the thing up on the screen. You need to get your eyes on the podium. There we go. Destiny provides the opportunity. You're uh, <laughs> losing some speed in your old age. Yeah, pretty quick. All right. This question here is from Avery Schaefer. Uh, hi, I've got a question for GM for Hire, Steve Palazzolo. Say you're the GM of a team that had high hopes or expectations going into the season. But through these first four weeks, things have gone really south, like the Giants, Vikings, or Bengals, with your team already having three or maybe four losses at this point in the season. My question is, how much longer would things have to go without improvement until you change your mindset for the season, thinking less about the playoffs and more towards the long-term future of the team, maybe trading away players, etc.? Thanks, and keep up the good work. Avery. Yeah, it's a really great question. It's uh, part of what I said earlier in the show. I, I, maybe I wouldn't want the job. Like, who wants to deal with that kind of disappointment? That's terrible. Um, but I think it's a case-by-case basis. Like, if you're the Giants and you're talking about your offseason, you have to be honest. And so I think you need to keep expectations low as much as possible. The Giants should not have come into the season with high expectations. If they were realistic, they could have said, sure, we won a playoff game last year. Sure, we won a ton of games. However, that should have been year one of the rebuild. And the pitch would be, hey, we're, gonna, we're the people you want for the rebuild because this roster is not there yet. We're two years away, but we still won games. And we might go take a step back before we take a step forward. Vikings, you could almost make the same argument. Like, hey, guys, you know, regression's coming. It's only year two of this regime. Let's not set expectations too high. We overachieved last year. So honestly, it actually starts with, if you're a team like the Giants or the Vikings that had way more wins than you should have last year, you got to lower those expectations. Now, at the, along the same lines, once you get into the season, you know you're not going to make the playoffs, you start selling. You sell, it'd be all about being a uh, trade deadline seller like you do in other sports, like in baseball, and try to build for the future. Bengals, it's a little bit trickier because you got the calf injury. You know that the injury is based off of the, – the issue is Joe Burrow in the calf, and so you blame him, right? So if you're the GM, you blame your quarterback. You blame his injury. And uh, that's what you do. You make sure that you look good. I built my roster. We're, we're, we're a Super Bowl caliber team. My QB's hurt, though. It's his fault. So that's what you do. You uh, always pass the blame to someone else or set low expectations. <laughs> what, is that bad? How do you, uh, so how do you reconcile this with the, your Mariners thing, right? Because theoretically, just because we're done this year, it doesn't mean you want to be good next year, right? So the selling part of it, you only want to be selling what actually – is going to make you a better team next season. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you're going to have to have expectations, obviously. Um, and I'll set the expectations as, yeah, we're going to win you know, 55% of our games. That's it. That's it. I'll get you there every week. It'll get you nine wins every single year, roughly. And then uh, one of the years, it'll be 13. No, realistically, I think, um, like, if you're the Bengals, you're not 
you can still make a run this year. If you're the Giants or the Vikings, yeah, I think there's, there's parts you could sell off that will be better for the future. It's not every good player. But, you know, if you have a guy with contract expiring or whatever it might be, I think you can become sellers. So it's not sacrificing next year, Sam. It's putting you in a better spot for next year, right? Get more draft capital. Get to go back to the draft. Yeah, but you don't want to just, like, as soon as the season's done, you'd be like, oh, let's tear it down. Like, we're now rebuilding because sometimes – I'm talking I mean, midseason. Midseason, there's someone who has a – you know, that's going to free agency, and it's okay to, to move on from those guys right. for draft capital. Um, there's also, like, there's a couple of different ways where this happens, right? The ones where the injured quarterback thing happens, that's almost its own little world. Yeah. But for other teams, like the Vikings or Giants, I think a big part of it is, like, identifying how bad are we? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's honestly one of the biggest questions here. Team like the, the Vikings are a good example, right? 11 one-score wins a year ago, and then going into that win against Carolina, they were three straight one-score losses. Oh, and three, you're like, well, the season's already done. Trade away Kirk Cousins. Give him to the Jets. Give him to the Falcons, whoever. I wouldn't do that, now. Sure. But, like, the point being, that was, you know, people were saying that. Then you, you But how bad were the Vikings at that point? Like, well, is this a team that's actually going to be heading for a top-five draft pick? Or did they simply catch the crappy end of variance for three straight weeks, having got the good end of it a year ago? And, actually, this is still kind of a 500 team. We can turn this around and still be okay. We don't need to do anything crazy or drastic. Yeah, they're probably comparable to last year, but with the, just a much younger team. That's the thing with the Vikings. I think you can make the argument like, oh, yeah, we kind of had to take a step back, not only because of one-score game regression, but because we did lose a whole bunch of stars and we went younger. So we have a younger team. Next year's our year, right? Next year's our year. We'll figure out the quarterback position, if it's going to be Kirk or if we're going to go to the draft. But next year's our year because we've made a, we have a youth movement. We have an undrafted free agent. At, uh, at, at linebacker, we have two starting corners who barely played in the NFL. Give them some experience. Next year at this time, we're much better. So it's a case-by-case basis. Where is your roster? But you have to properly assess it. And I don't know how much that happens with owners, but you really should be using Pythagorean wins or so, you know, projected wins and projected you know, whatever, your projected scores. You should use those as tools to say, here's what we really are. I know the win total says 12, but we really had eight. So we're a different team than maybe what our win record, win, win-loss record says. The opposite of Bill Parcells. All right. Consultant GM Palazzolo has spoken. You may, uh, you may return to your seat. All right. You're done. You're done here. NFL podcast at pff.com is the email address to send in your questions to consultant Palazzolo GM, or you can drop them in the Discord as well. We have a channel in there dedicated to question of the week. So you can drop in your questions of the week. I will be... Sourcing questions from either uh, avenue. Sweet. That's good. It's a fun show. Mm. I love having Bob talk through some stuff. Good people. Yeah. Go, uh, go subscribe to his Substack. It's where the world is going these days. Substack. Yeah, people are going to... Uh, there's a lot of independent media now. Mm-hmm. Right? So people are just going... Corporations off. are dead. Yeah. People are bringing their fans yeah. with them. Right? Like, how many... Uh, do, we, do we have names for our fans? We don't, like, we don't have Swifties. No. Do we have names for our fans? I don't have one. Like, if we went, would, some, would, would our fans come with us? Do we have fans? Do we, or the people I was talking to the other day are hate watchers. <laughs> would the hate watchers come and be like, yeah, I got to keep hate watching those guys. We're going to go with them. Yeah, who can tell? I don't know. I just never know no. if we have people following us. So. Yeah, no, we don't have a good name for our, our people. We should get a name for our, for our people. I mean, fans probably. Listeners. 
listeners interact yeah i mean listeners viewers would our show yeah we're not, not we don't have fanatics but yeah would our listeners and viewers come with us the way they went with bob they'd be just interested hmm. just wondering who knows hashtag let us know <laughs> all right well that's it for today you on with tomorrow for tomorrow enjoy bears commanders tonight everybody mm. i will brad spielberger back tomorrow to work oh, through God. his pain and misery after the uh after the Bears have another performance. That's going to be great. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back on Monday morning recapping all of week five. Sam will be back here with Brad discussing Bears commanders tomorrow. See you tomorrow.